0: You're a physical therapist, and that means you work hard, play hard, and have a slightly off-center sense of humor. We've got just the stuff you're looking for. Now at ptpinecast.com, we've got physical therapist T-shirts for under 20 bucks. Coffee tumblers for before work, and wine and whiskey tumblers for after your last patient. If you're a physical therapist, you need to check out ptpintcast.com and our online store now. Right now, there's free shipping for all orders over a hundred bucks. For physical therapists only, online at ptpintcast.com. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This is the PT Pintcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are live. Ain't too proud to pipe in our own crowd noises. What's going on? My name is Jimmy McKay. This is PT Pinecast. Before we get started, I want to let some of you know, see if this automatic desk thing is working. We now have a store online at ptpinecast.com where we have things like, I don't know, a Rotary Cup IPA t-shirt. Your patients are already calling in a Rotary Cup. You might as well just roll with it. You could tell them it's rotator cup all you want. They're just gonna call it the rotary cup. So just roll with it. Someone actually brought up online you should brew a beer. Go to a go to a craft brewer and do a limited edition batch of beer, call it Rotary Cup, IPA. Let's release it at San Antonio during CSM. I see no flaws in this argument. So if anybody knows a brewer in San Antonio with CSM, let's let's get together. Uh, but you can grab a T-shirt like this. We've got another one. Uh, I want to show this one off because I came up with this idea the other day while on the couch. And I found out that there is a, there's a T-shirt brand that their T-shirts go on sale for $1,800. $1,800. You know, it's like, is it worth that? I'm like, I don't know. I guess if you're going to want to pay for it, it is worth it but have you seen this brand before? Let me see if I can bring this up on screen. I'm working on it, here we go. Right, let me share my screen. So this is available too at ptpinecast.com, but we do not charge $1,800. So the brand that charges 1800 bucks is Supreme. You've seen the Supreme brands out there. If you're cool, I just found out about this. So instead of Supreme, we did Supine. Talk to our lawyers, we're okay. This is a medical term. On a t-shirt sold by a physical therapist so uh these available this one not again not eighteen hundred dollars this one available for just 1999. so again what i'm getting at is we've got a store it's got stuff it's how you can support the show go online at ptpinecast.com uh we do have a great program for you we had uh we had some good traffic on social media good, good, good questions asked for this we're gonna get into like what is maintenance therapy all right how to implement maintenance therapy in your in your home setting. What outsourcing services are essential to a home health agency? If you're doing this, you need to know. And what tools are available to document without fear of denials? If only someone had written a book on this. Oh, they did. And we have those people. So without further ado, and you know how much I like to do, let's start the show. all right welcome to pt pinecast great physical therapy conversations on tap that's what we do find us online at pt pinecast i mentioned the store a second ago also on the socials instagram twitter facebook at pt pinecast uh if you're watching live we do broadcast this live that's great we're on facebook twitter instagram whatever all live uh questions or comments during the show don't hold them back Shout it out. This is not fifth grade library. We got to be quiet. Just shout it out. Questions or comments below. We'll interact with you there if you've got them for the audience. Those are great. If you're watching live and you don't have a question or comment, I'm just curious, where are you watching from? Just let us know. Just, hey, I'm a PT and I'm in Oregon. Just I'm just curious where this show gets to and how it gets there. Also, if you're watching the replay on YouTube or any of the socials, drop a replay. Also, let us know where, where you're going to. This is me talking to you from the past. Uh, I, I mentioned we had a great episode and I meant it. So let's get our guests on here. Owners and founders of Cornetti and Kraft Healthcare Solutions. Advocating for maintenance therapy services. Dee and Cindy, the authors of the book, The Guide to Delivery of Home-Based Maintenance Therapy. If only there was a book and there is one. Uh, providing information and advice for maintenance therapy. Care, let's bring them on the show. We've got Cindy D. Ladies. Welcome to the program.
1: Hey, how are you?
0: First question is always the hardest. So let's get that out of the way. What are we drinking tonight? What's 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 in the glass? Very difficult question.
1: Go ahead, Cindy. You want to guess? I guess there's a little bit of bourbon in it.
2: That would be the case.
0: What do you like? <laughs> I just got into bourbons, maybe you know, during the pandemic, something I picked up because I figured why not just start appreciating bourbons. What do you What do you like? What should I be drinking?
2: Well, I, I tend to be one that likes a mixer, so I I tend to stay in the the beam category. Okay. Um, this could be a whole other discussion if you want to bring my husband in here to talk about that in detail. But I I tend to stay in my lane, but that was definitely my mixer of choice.
0: Got it. Going. All right, D, what do you got?
1: And you know, I'm I, I'm not imbibing tonight. Um, <laughs> I went out, and uh, since I missed Taco Tuesday in Northeast Jacksonville, I had my Patron Margarita this afternoon, and I figured if I had another one tonight, yeah, yeah. probably wouldn't be good. good,
0: good <laughs> so
1: I'm just having a basic refreshment, my Diet right. Coke, and that's the way we're going.
0: Uh, I'm going with a Juice Bomb IPA. This is from Sloop Brewing here in Upstate New York. I've got it in my uh, my 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 yeti uh, my yeti cooler. I don't know if you've seen this. Available at the store uh, as well. We've got our doctor of physical therapy. Our lawyers have reminded us to let you know this might appear to be similar to a major soft drink brand logo. Logo, it is not. It is completely our own. All right, that's the first round. Uh, brought to you by our friends from Owens Recovery Science, a single source for PTs looking for certification in personalized blood flow restriction. Uh, personalized blood blood flow restriction certification uh bfr it's a cool kids are calling it uh owensrecoveryscience.com that's where you can find out more information about that download it listen to their podcast or find out where you can get certified so thank you there all right so we got the hard questions out of the way so we ask you this one this is like a macro question whichever one of you ladies wants to take it what is maintenance therapy
1: again i'm going to defer to cindy i'm gonna let her kick it off
2: well, I would like to kick off this whole conversation by kind of reframing it a bit, because right. as soon as you say maintenance therapy, a lot of therapists look like you basically swore in church that, you know, I don't do that. That's like not really therapy. Um, I've never done it. I'm never going to do it. And, and as opposed to just kind of getting stuck in the semantics, Dee and I like to reframe it by calling it what it really is, which is a focus on stabilization. So we're utilizing our skill set, our wide variety of skills, but the intent, as opposed to where we tend to always go to improve people, is to stabilize their function. And I think by looking at it from that perspective, it gets rid of a lot of the bad vibes and cooties people have when you just say the term that can stop a lot of constructive conversation
0: does all right so so if we've got that as the reframe and, and i like that stabilization what are some patient populations that frequently get this more stabilization type therapy
1: um you name it jimmy i mean think think about all the patients that you see that have conditions that cannot be cured right? Think your chronic disease population. Heck, you can even look at your elective joint replacements and your musculoskeletal rehab patients that have these chronic comorbidities, right? doctor, see them, nurses see them. They see them all the time. They manage their meds. They manage their symptoms. But who's managing their function? Who is optimizing their ability within the constraints of that pathology, that pathophysiology of that body structure right the heart or that body system cardiovascular system or endocrine system who is dealing with that to make sure that that we are stabilizing their ability to function within the constraints of those of those disease processes so i would i i contend I think if you're treating, especially the Medicare population, you've you've got patients that have chronic comorbidities that no one is healing, they're never going to heal, and just because they're not doesn't mean your skills, your knowledge, your abilities, your expertise cannot be lent appropriately under any payer to stabilize that function. And so um, I think we automatically think of certain populations, right, Cindy?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And and it tends to be the, oh, I know what it's for. It's for Parkinson's, it's for ALS, it's for MS. It's for people that are confined to bed, can't do anything. Um, That's really the wrong image. I think it's really about that stabilization. It could be somebody who's at a pretty decent functional level right now. But the concern is based on everything else going on with them, if we don't do something, they're not going to be able to keep this level of function.
0: Okay, that that was all right. You perfectly led me right there. Perfect radio segue. I was going to say, okay, so without this stabilization, throw out maintenance. Without mm-hmm. the stabilization, what you had just said, there was where I was going to go next. This person would be able to function less than.
1: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So what ends up happening is that the role of of the therapist, their skills, knowledge, ability, expertise, is engaged to prevent or slow deterioration or decline right? It's, we always think we improve people, you right. know, and we get them to that plateau and then that dirty word plateau, we discharge them. And then what happens? Many times they just slip back down that hill. So we end up functioning like whatever mythology, Greek or Roman, I think it's Greek. You end up being Sisyphus, right? Yeah, That's right. what we do. We push them up the hill. And then when we get them there, we drop them and they slowly roll back down. And the idea is how is that beneficial for any patient? How is that, how is that in their best interest, especially an older body system, right? That we keep having these insults that they have to go through to to achieve this service. Why, once we get them to this optimal level of functioning, aren't we ensuring that we stabilize that function from here forward? Maybe we can't do that for those un, you know, those unforeseeable events, right? I mean, they may, they may have a heart attack or a stroke or something totally unrelated to why we have been seeing them that we can't control for. But those things where they have this gradual insidious decline, these falls, these uh, giving up, these activities of daily living that you can see coming, you know, after you realize what maintenance is, you can almost see it a mile away. Why are we allowing them to decline and deteriorate to that point if we can come in and we can slow it, if it part of the normal disease process right right? think about um uh, uh parkinson's right primary secondary tertiary parkinson thinks about the different stages or the events that people go through with als so if these are progressive disease processes we can still interject and optimize function at those things to minimize the impact of that disease process but there's other ones that you know, that they may have heart failure and have had it for years and going to have it till God forbid the day they leave this planet. And and are we doing things to make sure that we're optimizing function all along the way so that people have a better quality of life, that they're, they're as independent as possible?
0: I think you reframing that. I think the fact that you have to keep reframing that still and use that word stabilization to, to sort of change, change therapist minds is why it's so important because like, I'm pretty sure the public, the general public is probably is definitely more entrenched in that. Well, rehab, it's got to be improvement or they only come in when. So if we're still talking about this and you're saying when this, when this phrase maintenance therapy comes up, kind of like you know somebody, somebody cursed in church, um, we've got, we got a lot of work to do to change our profession to then change society's perception.
2: Jimmy, you hit the nail on the head. I think the biggest challenge we have is internal, not external because if you think about our construct from the the moment we decided we wanted to be therapists, Why did we want to do that? Because we wanted to help people and we were going to fix people and we were going to get them better. And then we got into our respective therapy programs. And from day one, that mantra was clear. You're going to get people better. And when people either don't have the potential to get better or hit that, oh, no, it's a plateau, like they haven't gotten better for a few treatments in a row, then as a responsible therapist, you're supposed to discharge people. Right that's the model. And if you even think about it, one of the the taglines, the recent taglines of our own profession has been moved to what? Improve. Okay? Mm-hmm. So you make little signs and put it everywhere to move to improve. Well, there's patients that aren't going to improve. So mm-hmm. as therapists, I think we've stayed very much in our lane and our goals about improvement and the idea of stabilization feels like we're not supposed to do that. We're not allowed to do that. I don't know how to do that. So when Dee and I talk to therapists about this, it's interesting the questions we get, because these are very intelligent people. I I will give them the benefit of the doubt. But some of the questions they ask are things like, well, you don't write goals for maintenance patients, do you? Why? They wouldn't have goals, right? Because they're going to stabilize. And it's like, Wow, how how did we get there that we're going to ask, oh, and, and what I'm just going to poke the bear d. I know one of your favorites is, well, we wouldn't use standardized tests or measures on maintenance patients, would we? I mean, what are you measuring if if I did it again, you know, the measurement might be the same. So why would I take this why would I use a measurement on a on a stabilization patient? Any thoughts on that, Wendy?
1: Yeah, imagine that that we are going to take a baseline measure, we're going to intervene to demonstrate our skills, knowledge, ability, expertise to show stabilization. And as a verification of that, we're going to remeasure and show stabilization. Why? Why would we even do that? I mean, so, you know, I think we have this idea and we as a profession have have bought into it. If we can't make you better then then you have no potential and and or or that there's no there. You know, there's no need for goals or what is it that I can lend to you? You've reached your max rehab potential or your prognosis isn't good. Remember, we have to rephrase this in the context that maintenance has been around, especially in the, in the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual for over 30 years. It's been around since the 80s. It's always been part of the benefit. It's nothing new. The idea is that you are not going to to help a person progress alone. Your skills may help them get better if that's the avenue that that they're appropriate for, they can recover and get to a higher level, or your skills can be used to stabilize their function. Think about how many times there's patients that don't understand their disease process. Sure, they may take their meds right, and they may do things, but they don't understand how much work they can do um, at their stage or their severity of heart failure. And so then you have this person that really really has stopped functioning, right? They're afraid they don't wanna break their heart or they don't wanna work too hard you're telling me that there isn't skills knowledge and ability that we can come in and we can teach them how to monitor their 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 own perceived exertion that we can we can help them identify why this meta activity is more demanding like ADLs and self-care maybe than walking around the block or out to the magic mailbox if you think about it to pick up the mail which we do in home care all the time so that was just a little shout out to you Cindy but the idea Thank is you. that metabolically there are different activities that have different demands. And so there's so much that we can lend to improve people's function, to stabilize, to have them function optimally within these chronic diseases that no other discipline can do.
0: I say if you change it, if you change it from therapy, physical, occupational, whatever therapy you're providing, uh, look at how much drugs are actually, uh, in terms of money into pharmaceuticals, to slowing the progression. Yes, a lot of pharmaceuticals coming mm-hmm. to prevent ALS, Alzheimer's disease, but a lot of those therapies are targeted on slowing the progression, which means we understand the value in slowing the progression of, and we have research that says physical therapy as a profession can slow the progression of.
1: Yeah, and so, so think about it this way. There's medications. Just staying with the, the example of heart failure, that you're going to take whether it's one of the early stages on the New York Heart Association uh, severity of heart failure. You're going to take certain medications, you know, based on the the, the patho- pathology or pathophysiology severity of of the central pump of the heart, and then and you're going to take other medications if it's a different severity, right? Because what are we trying to do? We're trying to optimize the Um, the functioning of that central pump. We're trying to reduce the unintended sequela or side effects come and the buildup of fluid that we then have to be admitted or be diuresed or pull off of them. Right. That's what we're trying to do. So how is it not better to use therapy? I mean, to, to engage the peripheral muscle system in that, in that manner, to take the demands off the central pump, to make our peripheral muscles uh, a better user of the oxygen that a compromised central pump can, can, Provide it. Just it, you're right. I mean, we have we have the logic in place. We just haven't embraced it. We haven't leaned into it as therapists. Makes there's no that, sense to us.
0: There's that disconnect, which leads me to a question we had today on Twitter: uh, Why are we calling it maintenance therapy? Sounds like no progress is being made with the patient at all. I'm sure you guys have heard sentiments like this before. Uh, This was posted by Lenny Macrina, Like Lenny, the uh, the powers of beauty to rebrand this. So I feel like Lenny was not was not disagreeing with you at all. He says the power no. of rebrand this, it's an important form of therapy and training in older adults. Uh, Jess Schwartz at DPT2Go also jumped in 100% on rebranding here. We do maintenance to keep a car running. I think we can collaborate and utilize a new word. And look at that, Cindy already broke that word out. Stabilization, that sounds like such a PT word. Stabilize, it does. Stabilize that. It's,
2: it's funny when you say the word people are like oh I mean the same person who went at maintenance is going oh I get it and I would go so far Jimmy is to, to poke everyone's bear and say I believe every PT's doing maintenance right now. Sure. <laughs> they are. They just are not understanding it well enough and they're not As Dee said, leaning into it and owning it. Those are the patients that we have plenty of patients. You start them off on a trajectory, you expect them to improve, you do everything you magically know how to do, they get near goals, they don't need you anymore, you discharge them, everybody's hunky dory. But there's also patients where we go on that same route, we do expect, we see that initial improvement, but as we're nearing the goals, we realize that this individual, they made some gains, but we're not confident that that plateau is stable. They're reaching a plateau. But I'm afraid if I leave now, they're going to go who knows where. So I keep them a few more visits, a few more weeks, a few more treatments. That's maintenance therapy, right. but we're afraid to call it that. So now on the home health side, as an example, we have a specific billing code that identifies restorative versus maintenance. So what we see are agencies providing this therapy, billing, all of it is restorative. You see the plateau, you see the b- documentation clearly indicating what's going on, but nobody's calling it maintenance. Nobody's reframing that conversation and nobody's billing it that way. Right. So from CMS's perspective, it's not happening. And if you were billing me all this restoration and for two weeks nothing got restored, then I am going to deny you and not pay for those last two weeks of care.
1: You know, I'd go so far as to say, think of it this way. Do you give your patients a program when you discharge them? Is there something that you want them to continue to do to maintain the improvements that they've gained? I mean, because in reality, if they've improved to the point where they can go back into their prior level of function, then it's that level of activity that they don't need to supplement anymore, right? But many of our patients, they have limitations. They may not Get all the way back and so what do we leave them with the traditional home exercise program right so we're expecting them to maintain those goals that they've achieved those improvements that that functioning and so in reality, I think to a certain extent, rather than just, oh, we're going to see you two or three times a week forever, forever, or three times a week for for four weeks, just like that little man that walks up, you'll lay hee-ho on the price is right. And then as soon as we get to the top, we drop you off, we discharge you. Why aren't we weaning people off? Why aren't we keeping them on and saying, is this gonna sustain? Are you gonna see the benefits of this therapy, not just the day after I leave or the first five days, are you gonna see it the first three weeks, the first month, the first three months? Because what we do know about the continuum of healthcare is that it really doesn't matter as much about what you achieve, you know, as far as a unique functional outcome, right? Improving ambulation, let's talk about it it. for for post-acute improving the ability to bathe these are all bigger parts of mobility and adl and self-care are bigger parts of patients staying out of higher cost centers of care and what does everybody care about high cost centers of care where are they the hospitals emergency rooms, urgent care centers, unscheduled doctor's visits, right? And so if we use this idea that instead of getting you exactly where you're off, if we can't send you off to, hey, when you leave this visit, you're discharged, go back and play your 18 holes of golf, or go back and uh, re-enter the community, do all your shopping, blah, blah, take all your appointments, do everything that you're doing, get yourself up and washed and dressed, take your dog to the dog park. If we're not discharging you right back to your normal life, and we're leaving you with things to supplement. Implement those improvements, then we really should be providing a level of maintenance care, and and that's where I agree with Cindy with her contention. I think we're all doing a part of it. We're just not calling it that.
0: Yeah. How about something well, very very recent? How about something that's 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 so recent that we talk about it so much we don't want to talk about it, about it anymore. Uh, Long COVID changing the perspective on this, right? Our profession was born out of a pandemic. And now long COVID, we just did a a, a couple great episodes uh, series on this, changing the perspective, stabilizing, decreasing crash frequency with those uh, uh, living with long COVID is so important. And if it's not, go talk to someone living with this. Trust me, you will see it.
1: I mean, my thing is we don't even know what the recovery or what the long-term effects of this disease process are. So so the fact that we know that we have this long COVID or the post-acute sequela of COVID, PASC, whatever you want to call it, the idea is that I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know what bigger but bigger bang we can get than to say it's sitting right in front of us and we should be a leader on this, but we have to be able to identify that we're not just useful in getting people back to what they were before we're useful even, and we're, we're, it, we're indispensable, if you will, um, in making sure that people have optimal functioning at whatever stage of, of, of a chronic
2: disease they're in.
0: Cindy, I look like I was cutting well, you And off I the
2: think, first. you know, the, uh, the long COVID issue has also exposed some of that inconsistency yeah. because this goes back to, we've talked about the, we've seen improvement and then we convert to maintenance. But I've always looked at those patients that were, sometimes we call them one and dones or eval only. Um, very often that evaluation only is not a, you're doing so great, you don't need therapy. It's clearly identifying a multitude of issues. Overwhelmingly, there's education from the therapist, a program from the therapist, exercises from the therapist, and then no rehab potential. Good luck. It's like, wait a minute, you you saw a need to do something. Right. So why would you not follow up? Well, I can't because he wasn't going to get better. Let's just stop. If I'm going to give you something, that would be like the doctor giving you medication and say, I don't even want to hear what happens. This should work based on my experience. You know, have fun with that. And it's no, I'm going to come back and check. Did this work? Maybe I need to adjust something. Maybe that program I thought worked for you, especially with, you know, the infancy of understanding long COVID as an example, I gave you a program and how many stories have we heard of the program we would have traditionally given was the wrong thing. It, right. it wiped them out it caused the wrong result so we can't just hand out information and be like well let me know if anything goes bad but what is our responsibility to follow through and make adjustments as we see the course of care unfold as we see their response to therapy
0: i love that yeah well said and i think i think what you're doing there cindy again at the top of the show changing that word maintenance to stabilization and just and sort of changing changing what we're talking about, right? Changing the noun in a sentence, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, when you put drugs in that in that spot instead of therapy, it makes complete sense. Okay, well, it also makes sense when we replace it again with therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're president of the home health section. Uh, you guys have literally written the book, and we'll put the book uh, in the comments, The Guided Delivery of Home-Based Maintenance Therapy. Maybe we need to change the title of that book. We'll get on that. Let's call the producer, uh, the the publishers. But does this always have to be home-based? That's my next question.
1: Um, no, the reason our first edition was the post acute guide to maintenance therapy. We talked about, per the regulations, that any Medicare provider, Part A or Part B, can do it. And so, you know, we had regs in there about ERFs and SNFs and those um, Medicare benefit policy manual. Uh, chapters, chapter eight, chapter one. And so what, what we realized is that we really wanted to hone in on people residing in their, their, their natural environment. And so, uh, and capture a little bit more of the part B, right? Because this can happen in outpatient clinics, this can happen in part B in the home. And, and the unique thing about the home, about home health is, is that even though it's part A, it's, it's delivered what I like to call the patient's natural environment, right? If you think about it, you know, you can practice, all you want in an inpatient facility and you can line up all the grab bars and the width of the doors and set up all the equipment you want. But we don't know anything of, of, of all that work is going is to translate when you get into the patient's house. And so this was a great way for us to say people want to be home. COVID's also proven that it's yeah. the most cost-effective place to provide care, home community-based. That was that part A, part B. And we have a great opportunity, a wide open space to step into, um, in in the you know in the shadow of COVID, unfortunately, where we can say, "What is your number one job as a, as a therapist?" My number one job is to keep people in their their home environment. And to have them functioning optimally, i.e. I keep people out of higher cost centers of care through function, right? And so that was really the impetus for making it really uh, uh, home and community based sort of care. It's because this is where people spend the majority of their time.
0: And they, and they where they we also most the majority of their time.-.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, the, re- the reason we put the Part B in there is, is not only is it Part B in the home, which is clearly an option of care, but also Part B in a clinic setting. Because what we're finding is that we'll get, you know, in, in our typical universe, the home health Part A, you know, you get people to understand maintenance. Yep, I get it. It's stabilization. But we also have to deal with the reality of you have to be homebound to get right. it under right. Medicare A. Hey. So there's patients that continue to need this level of care, but they this so what options are available to them we wanted to address that in the book
0: yeah uh what's what are what are people going to be about transformed into is this going to and this is going to change perspective uh, as we're talking about feels like that's the theme that's suddenly popped up, which is, you're, you're changing perspective. These things, have, these things are not new, these, these concepts we're talking about. It literally, it can sometimes be as simple as changing the word, but when someone, is, when someone gets this book, and again, we have the link in the comments, uh, what are they gonna be empowered to now and armed with?
2: Well, we wanted to make sure, and in everything Cornettian Craft does, we want to make sure it's grounded in the regs. Um, There's been a lot of myths and misunderstandings about Medicare rules. And it's like, whatever setting you're in, you need to go look at what the rules really are for yourself Mm -hmm. and make sure you understand them. But also, I love my business partner. You can't just talk about rules. You got to talk about operationalizing it. So we used a case study throughout the book to say, okay, we talked about this concept. What could that look like with respect to a patient, continuous patient yeah. scenario throughout the chapters? When we revised it, it now has a workbook. So there's specific additional activities because I, back to what we said about staying in the improvement lane, um, one of the tools I contributed to the book was this little self-check about, are you addicted to improvement? Have you defined yourself so much that you can't see beyond that? Right that to say, okay, you can do this now, is hard for some therapists. I mean, really hard. I've told Dee, when we've done live presentations and I can see the audience, we need to come up with like the same kind of stages of grief equivalent for understanding maintenance because you'll see people look angry like somebody you know made this up or confused as to i've never heard of this then you see the light bulb going of oh i understand that oh gosh that lady i discharged last week probably should have been kept on service and i'm a terrible therapist and i should have done all this other stuff or i mean it's it's just interesting those that interaction of the understanding and the application and so we tell um Therapists all the time you got to cut yourself a little bit of slack and you've got to cut your team some slack to work this through because it's not as simple as oh it's in the regulations yeah go do that oh it's stabilization i understand that for a lot of us it's 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 transitioning how we viewed our entire professional selves in one way and that's not necessarily just flip a switch and i'm okay Mm -hmm. with it now and i'm going to start doing it
0: it's not
1: And even if they theoretically okay I can get on board with that I can get on board with that it's the actual. When you put pen to paper or finger to keyboard, how, mm-hmm. how do you make sure that you speak to the regs? And you know, no offense, I don't think anybody got into therapy to say I want to I want to write a novel, right? I want to huh. write. They wanted to treat patients, and but unfortunately, documentation is the way that we verify that we speak to the regulations, right? That our services are skilled, reasonable, and necessary according to the Medicare requirements, and so you know, and then you have other pay requirements, but they basically similarly fall in line with that. You have, it can't be something that a a non-skilled person could do because we're not going to pay you for that. Okay. So the workbook piece was really important because those things like we get questions about all the time. What would a therapy, a maintenance goal look like? Well, we have goal writing examples. We have what is and is not maintenance. Could you identify it from a vignette? What might look like it? We try to stay away from those traditional type diagnoses. Um, How would you write a care plan? how would you write a reassessment visit? Um, What kind of utilization might this look like? Because some people, you know, non-therapists, they want to, they want to say if it's less than two, you know, two times a week, anywhere from not every week to one time a week, it must be maintenance. And if it's two or more, it's multiple times a week, it must be restorative or rehabilitative or improvement. And it's just like, no, you, you, you've got to look at the unique presentation of the patient. And so we go through this and 10, 12 or so different, you know, breaking it down and giving, um, giving the, 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 The person interacting with the workbook, the opportunity to practice those skills and then look at, you know, what an appropriate answer might include and a rationale for why that would make it appropriate. Because I think that anybody, I think after this conversation, and Sydney and I always feel like this, we're going to have converts. We're going to have people that really believe, oh, yeah, my goodness, I can do this. And they're probably going to be excellent clinicians at it. The difference is, are you going to be a phenomenal documenter of your care? Because if you're not, then you can't be excellent, right? Because if you're going to introduce risk to your organization, to whoever holds the license, whoever submits the bill, then you're, you're not a great clinician, you know? You can be a great provider of a service, but if you can't document to substantiate and you can't rob- you know, defensively uh, document in a robust way, you're a risk. So um, whether that comes to doing improvement or that comes to doing maintenance. And so I think that the the toolkit was a really nice way for us to try to break it down. What do they say? When you eat the elephant, it's one bite, bite it at a time. time. That's it. So we tried to take those things that we covered in the case study that's continuing in this in this second edition, the second iteration. Um, but we also gave a workbook so, with multiple operations. Opportunities, PTOT speech to to, to practice this skill set and see if they could get a little bit more depth. Because it's been my experience, being a, a, a maintenance provider since two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Right, we're over ten years of it. Um, that the better I got at documenting maintenance, because it was a little bit. Not as familiar, not as comfortable for us, like Cindy has said. I became a better documenter of my skill set in an improvement, you know, a restorative course of care,
2: one that I'm very familiar in providing.
0: Yeah, Uh, well, uh,
2: I I think part of it though is is how many times, D, were we seeing folks that were, you know, venturing into maintenance, and then apparently the documentation meant just use the word maintain a lot. Like every goal says maintain, every note says maintain ten times. Is like okay let's just stop here care decision. Good documentation needs some work because just sticking that word in a lot is, is not going to get it there. Yeah. But I think what, what complicates it further is the whole Jim versus Sibelius thing, because people will ask us, well, did that expand the benefit? I wish it had. I honestly wish Mm -hmm. that there had been a defined moment that expanded the benefit because I think we all would have paid attention then to the expansion, would have learned about it, would have implemented it, would have done all these things. But the way it all went down with basically CMS going, oops, yeah, it technically was never there. And yeah, we shouldn't have been letting people deny you. It never really existed. Okay, we're okay. I'm sorry. And move on didn't really address the fact that particularly for therapists, we were so on that improvement track that just going oopsies didn't fix the underlying problem. So I think that that's what's further complicated the process of understanding it versus implementing it, that it just felt like suddenly one day somebody said your whole reality was based on a, on a lie, on a myth. And now I'm just supposed to regroup and move on. Which so so we wanted to put those kinds of activities in there, like Dee said, to kind of help us get comfortable, um, and acknowledge that being aggravated at times or confused at times, it's okay. Yeah, we've all been there trying to, to to get into this train of thought.
0: Yeah, it almost it feels like that quote. Um, it's easier to fool someone than convince them that they've been fooled. Like it's like people just have this ingrained, and now you've got to do the uneducation, the uneducation, right? Like the convincing mm-hmm. someone, maybe if they aren't into vaccinations, it's like, that's, that's, tw- that's not even twice the amount of work. It's like the amount of work squared. um mm-hmm. So I think, I think what you're doing in terms of a workbook is if you've got the people nodding and you're saying, okay, I believe it doesn't mean just slap the word. Just We're not changing one word here. I'm going right. to show you how to do it because the worst thing is being a convert and saying, okay, I agree with you. And then Monday morning comes and you go, oh, I don't know how to do that. So the workbook, I mean, we're, we have human brains, right? We give workbook mm-hmm. kids all the time. Our brains still kind of work the same way. We need to work through it a bunch of times in different situations and see how it fits. So I love that. The guided delivery of home-based maintenance therapy, uh, again, the, uh, the link in the show notes, I'm a link uh, below. Outsourcing services that are essential to home health agency. When I hear outsourcing, I hear making sure someone else who's an expert in doing something is doing it, and then I don't have to worry about it. Like if I outsource graphic design or I outsource mowing my lawn. Talk to me about that. I defer that to you, Dee,
2: to kick that off.
1: Oh, okay. So uh, you must be talking a little bit about what we do at Cornetti and Craft. So Cindy and I have multiple years of experience as therapists in home health. And um, one of the things we try to do is we try to lend that expertise to um, home health agencies and organizations to do the things that that we're really good at. And um, either as a backup over a check or a verification that, yes, this is going on in your organization because compliance is a huge thing, right? Every day you can open, you. you know, the DOJ website, the OIG website, the Medicare website, uh, the newspaper, and you can see something about fraud, waste, and abuse, right? So what we do in outsourcing is we provide that kind of support um, through auditing, through uh, claims review um, uh, for in the home care space, the OASIS data. I don't know how many of you all know, but anybody that knows Cindy Kraft knows that she is um, an expert when it comes to OASIS, um, frequently involved in uh, Medicare's uh, technical expert panels, um, and um, is one of the leading educators in the nation on the oasis document Um, and um, i do um, the current iteration of icd-10 coding which is icd-10 now and so we're both credentialed. We've been doing it for years. And so we help provide some of that resource or some of that assistance to organizations that maybe don't have that expertise in-house or uh, the people that do have that expertise in-house. We provide oversight or verification that they are doing what they say they're doing, right? Because so things we change all, yeah. change all the time. Yeah.
0: All the time. Exactly. And how are you, what are you supposed to do? And this is what I used to say back when I was in radio and I didn't fill out my requisition forms right to buy new equipment for the radio studio. And I would just tell him, he's like, you got to get better at forms. I'm like, you want me me doing Jimmy things or you want me doing form things? I can can do one or the other. I want to go get better at Jimmy things. But that's where I think you guys are a weapon, which is if you don't have that gigantic resource, you can borrow Cindy and D's brain. And then, what you actually are buying is that warm, fuzzy feeling in your stomach that you're doing it right,
1: yeah. And you know, we have a really unique approach, right? Cindy, I'll turn it over to you. i'll I'll, I'll tee you up that um we have a way of when we find trends, we share that with our customers, you know, whether it's in a formal audit, but sometimes just doing the outsource work. They're coding and their oasis reviews.
2: Cindy? Well, I think it's because we're therapists. Yeah. I think that, you know, the idea is if we are working with some agency, we when we find a problem, let's talk about what the problem is and how do we make the problem, you know, at least stabilize, staying on the, the theme of the earlier, or improve? How, how do we help you be better? And I think a lot of times people are apprehensive about outsourcing, thinking, oh gosh, this is just going to be a long-term, codependent, expensive relationship, and they're just going to keep trying to sell me stuff. Yeah, there are folks that do that. Um, that's not how we work it. Uh, if we find something you know, that's not going right, then here's the tools. How do we get it better? How do we help you stop making those mistakes? And especially when it comes to to, to filling out the forms, Jimmy, we find a whole lot of <laughs> Why are you filling out this whole back page over here? It's completely useless. Just stop using that focus on this. These are the fundamentals that you need. So I think the part of it is being wired as therapists. It's like, let's do something about it. Let's not just keep staring at the problem for months on end. Let's figure out how to make this better and make it easier on the clinician so that the clinician understands, yes, there's requirements, but for every rule, and I argue this is in any healthcare setting, for every real rule, there's about 10 fake ones. (laughs) Somebody heard once that I'm required to do this, that I know I have to do it. And D knows this. I love when I get emails that say, I am looking for the regulation that says you have to do X. I've looked everywhere. (laughs) I cannot find the regulation. And I always have to kind of sit there for a minute before I reply and say, have you considered? The regulation doesn't actually exist. Um, it may have in the past. Maybe somebody heard it at a conference or somebody mentioned it once in a no. presentation. But when you're going to call something a reg, you better be able to find it in an actual source.
0: They're the easiest things to find. They're literally the things written down. This is the worst game of telephone ever. Well, I heard yeah. from a guy from my cousin's ex-girlfriend, and I'm like, that's that. That's not a reliable source. That isn't <laughs> is how it works. So if someone wants to contact you, website cornettiandcraft uh, is the is the best place to do it. We'll put that in the show notes. We'll put that on the uh, the below so people can contact you. Um, you can tell you guys are fired up about this. Oh look at that, which just pops up below. Look how magical I am. Um, we can tell you guys are passionate about it, and I I like to say like my my job in communications and and where I work with Mount Sinai is I get to speak two languages fluently: communications and physical therapy. You guys do. Something similar. You speak two languages fluently. It's because you are, you know, you're people who operate in two different worlds. Listen, come learn from them, their resources. Another reason probably to join uh, sections and academies within the APTA, right?
1: Absolutely. And just to let you know, um, we recently underwent a name change and we are now the Home Health Academy of the American Physical Therapy Association and very proud of that.
0: Love it. All right. Uh, com. Find information about uh, everything we talked about tonight in the show notes of the episode. Ladies, are you ready for three questions? Yes! And-
2: Fire away. Three questions.
0: Mm-hmm. questions brought to you by our friends from. Of Fusion Medical Staffing. Find them online at FusionMedStaff.com. Leaders in hashtag travel physical therapy. Uh, Job transparency. Listen, you got a license to practice as a physical therapist or physical therapist assistant. Let it take you where you want to go, not the other way around. Uh, but sometimes people say, like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting into. I'm very nervous. And they're trying to sell me on something. Trust me, you you don't want to get involved in a travel assignment that's not right for you. And the people that are assigning you do not want you to get in a travel assignment that's not right for you. That's why Fusion has travel transparency, complete transparency. See what you're getting into it, uh, what you're getting into before you get into it. Find it online at FusionMedStaff.com. All right, three questions. We'll go D, and then we'll go Cindy. First question is a where question. Where is somewhere? Once you feel safe, and it's it's great to move about the country that you can't wait to travel to.
1: I would have to say I would like to having gone to the Wor- women's World Cup in France in 2019 oh. and I've not been a world traveler that was my first out of I've traveled all over the US I would say I would love to go back to Lyon France it's oh. absolutely gorgeous um, the food the chocolate the wine the, the 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 history the the people it's just phenomenal I, I really want to go back
0: he's going to France city where are you going
2: I'd I'd be up in the Seattle area. I love the love and miss the Pacific Northwest. Um, the 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 landscape, the ocean. It's just I, I've missed being able to go there.
0: Very nice. All right. Well, where both those places that the ladies mentioned uh have people and where there are people that need great PTs. So again, find out what opportunities are available for you at fusionmedstaff dot com. Second question is a what question. Uh what's something you've read or watched or listened to a book, movie, podcast, something that you think the audience would get value from it can be therapy related, but doesn't have to be.
1: <sighs> something that I've watched, whatever. I've been so embedded in the Olympics. Here's what oh, I'm gonna yeah. tell you. My wife asked me if you could, you know, because we both played sports coming up in through college, and if you could take on another sport, obviously not now, but like in your prime, what would it be? I think I would love. To play handball. handball that was one, awesome. that one, Isn't that like the best thing to watch in the world? Men or women. I mean, I like water polo. I might've played in that. I think badminton is badass, you know, especially, man, the way they're hitting that shuttlecock. Woo. I mean, we played in our backyard, but handball has taken me over. I, it's I'm addicted. Cool.
0: It's, I, I played in gym class because we had a gym teacher who was like, I'm going to throw this for you. And I was like, this is a made up sport. He's like, this is an Olympic sport. And I was like, why isn't this a high school sport? And it wasn't handball. I like it. Cindy, what's your what? And then you also have to answer what sport you would have taken on.
2: Okay. Well, see, so you got D go into France and play in handball. Right. Um, I want to go to the Pacific Northwest and um, I'm big into superhero movies. So I've been really into watching Titans um, on HBO max uh, because I, I like the, it's got ups and downs. Every series has ups and downs, but that's, that's really what I've been watching lately. I don't, I, I don't watch a lot of or read a lot of necessarily uh, therapy-related things in my spare yeah. time. I like more of the science fiction, superhero stuff. Now, okay. to the back to the handball issue. We yeah. did have handball in high school, and cool. at all six foot two with my arm reach, I whooped every girl in the class.
0: There you go. You got you got a wingspan is what we call it now. You got tip yeah. to tip. Huh? Yeah.
2: I had the
1: wingspan in high school so i have to tell you i think cindy's sport would have been mountain biking because cindy has taken that up with her with her family later in life and they actually have a little course on their land and she's pretty darn badass either that or i've seen her hike some hills she might be on those rocks climbing up and stuff I think she would be pretty badass at that, Jimmy. I'm just
2: saying. Well, you have to come back, D. We cut a new trail last weekend. But (laughs) specific to the Olympics, though, the one sport, because our question was a little different in our house. It was if you woke up tomorrow with the ability to be competitive in one of these sports, what would it. it be? And, you know, I'm hearing swimming. and I said pole vaulting only because I don't understand the sequencing of getting that down up and over and not killing yourself. Wow. I would love to try it once just to feel the mechanics. Cause like I said, wake up being competitive, not wake up and right. smash myself and kill myself. But like I'd be the very feeling, intrigued to try a pole vault.
0: The feeling of flight is pole vaulter. Last question. Three questions is a who question. Who is someone the audience should know more about?
1: Who is someone the audience should know more about Cindy you can jump in if you, um, if you can think of it before I do. I would say I'm going to go with someone from the section, okay. from the Academy. Academy. Um, uh, she's a private practice owner. She's been recently elected to our executive uh, committee. And if you don't follow or know her already on Twitter, she's very engaged on social media. She screams. She lives. She rocks DEI. Her name is Monique Caruth.
0: Oh, Monique. Yes. Very outspoken. Fantastic resource.
1: Love her. Who, Great
2: person. My Who? My who would be the third leg of the Cornetian craft stool, which is Sherry Teague. Um, I think she sells herself short by saying, oh, I'm the ampersand in the logo. Um, but she she keeps us on the straight and narrow. She knows a lot about a lot of things, and she represents PTAs. I think a lot of times it's the, well, they're not, yeah, they are an equal part of the physical therapy team, and I'm glad she's part of ours.
0: Love that. getting a shout out. Me too. Let's get her back on the show next time you guys come on. We'll do that. That's three questions. Again, FusionMedStaff.com, hashtag travel PT. Last thing we do on the show is the parting shot. Shop brought to you by our friends from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Find them online at orthopt.org. We're talking about people deciding if they're going to take that leap, level up their orthopedic game with an OCS. Maybe you want to do that. Well, uh, current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy is a perfect roadmap to take you from where you are to where you want to go, where you are right now, wherever that may be. You confident and competent as an orthopedic physical therapist. Find out more at orthopt.org. All right. Parting shots we will go D and then Cindy, your last chance for a mic drop moment, a soapbox, an idea you want to reiterate D your parting shot. The stage is yours.
1: Listen, with everything that we've been going through for the last 20 plus months and all the new things that we've had to face and overcome, quit asking why, ask yourself, why
2: not? just do it.
0: I love that. I love the, love the why not questions. Well done. Cindy, your parting shot, what do you leave for the audience?
2: I would say kind of an extension of what Dee just said, but on our topic from earlier this evening, I'm over people saying, well, yeah, that maintenance is interesting, but I'm not going to provide it. Um, it's part of the Medicare benefit policy manual. Your patient is entitled to it. So get out of your own way and make it happen.
0: Ooh, I like that. Changing thoughts and changing minds just by changing one word, right? That stabilization word. If that sticks with you, I would love to see it. Uh, ladies, thanks so much for dropping by and doing all that you do. We'd love to have you back coming up soon. And I think we got to bring Sherry on as well. Yes,
2: we do. Yes.
0: Okay, coming back with us. All right, ladies, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Follow us online. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Facebook. Twitter, and Instagram at PT Pinecast. All right, show today brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. Brooks IHL offering continuing education courses in numerous specialty areas, six PT residency programs, an OMPT fellowship, as well as challenging but rewarding internships. The IHL specializes in the translation of information from evidence to patient management. Learn what they can do for you to support your professional development at Brooks IHL. PYHL.org Our home on the internet ptpintcast.com Created by Build PT Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs From website development and hosting Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country See what Build PT can do for you today at buildpt.com The P.T. Pinecast is a product of P.T. Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by P.T. Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk P.T., drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the P.T. Pinecast. The P.T. Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.